This is Two Minutes About Time with Luke Allen and Robert E.G. Black, the podcast that takes a look at the film About Time, two minutes at a time. I'm Richard Curtis, and I hope you enjoy it. And if you don't, well, you can just travel back in time two minutes and listen to something else. I'm one of your hosts, Luke Allen. I'm joined, as always, with my co-host, Robert E.G. Black. Hello. And with our special guest for this week, Kate. Hi. Uh, so today we're looking at minute 95 before we go on to our bonus minute. And it's all mayhem that we open with. The Tim's trying to leave, the phone's ringing, and Posey has ruined all of Mary's manuscript. Um, so she continues her anger, Mary does, with the line, Phone? I will kill you with the phone. <laughs> and she picks it up but doesn't answer it. Tim says, I won't answer the phone, but I do. I do need to get out, so I mean... And she says, no, no, no getting out, no getting out, no. And he says, okay, right. She says, uh, sorry, Mr. McEwen, we read most of your book, but you see, the rest of it was, um, coloured on or shredded. <laughs> and she says, Tim says, yeah, I had no idea Posey actually knew how to use that machine. It's, in a way, that's impressive. <laughs> and then she finally answers the phone, angrily. What is it? What? How can I help you? Oh, Mary. Oh no, everything, sorry, your son will explain. It's your mother. So obviously she doesn't know the scale of this thing with how angry and panicked she sounds on the phone. So I have wondered with this scene constantly as to what the other Mary thinks <laughs> what during this whole ang- angry pickup of the phone. She might not notice or care. She's gonna yeah, she's a bit distracted, yeah. <laughs> so Tim says, hi mum, and we've got a, a long silence, which I've roughly tried to replicate in one of the bits in Unstable actually I sent this I think I sent this over to the soundtrack composer and I was like we just want this silence yeah I I mean I've, I've talked a lot about how About Time seems to have influenced my filmmaking more than any other film to the point that when I was doing promotion for Unstable on Radio Shropshire the radio presenter said so is Unstable basically just About Time on crack and so uh, Tim says no no it's okay we'll we'll come straight down okay bye and it's just, yeah, it's, I, I love how this just puts everything so quickly into perspective. Like, even though we don't know at this point what the phone call is, we know it's so serious that all the mayhem that's happened, Tim's like, no, we gotta leave. I think sound here is really key to that, isn't it? So, you know, as I said in the last episode, that phone, that, that diegetic sound that is not going yeah. away, and then it stops. And then you can concentrate on what's going on again, and then it goes again, and it builds, and the tension builds with it. And then actually, just as we've got the two characters kind of centre screen for what is the telling off, and we, when we get to the bit about the shredding and Poppy not being able yeah. to use it, it's it's actually really quiet there again. Mm-hmm. You don't realise it, I think, straight away, because the noise has just been pretty consistent throughout but actually that's a really really quiet moment for us to be able to catch that flippant comment but it doesn't lighten the mood like his previous ones have and the phone kicks in as if to disallow that from happening so i think sound and the use of silence is um is really good because actually in a lot of things in a scene like that you might have the phone ring once and hang up and then ring again but a lot of the atmosphere would be done through a score would be done through the non-diegetic sound, would be done through, you know, parallel, very complementary bit of strings and a bit of build-up here and, and so on. So that, And then we'd know that 
the call was sad because we'd have that slowing in tempo and we'd have the drawn out strings. That isn't used here at all. And I think just relying on what's in the scene and silence is a, is a really simple but effective technique. Yeah, I think it really works. And it, it does make everything so much more raw and real. And he, I mean, even though you said that, you know, it's it's common enough to have the phone ringing twice, I still like that detail. The idea that, you you know, the it, it builds up the urgency of the phone call. And, and I think it sort of makes it significant to the audience as well. I think we know if they're ringing twice, it's not a scam caller, it's not a brief checker. We know that whatever's the phone is, it's something important and it's going to come back later on. And as we cut to them going into Cornwall, we get Spigal and Spigal playing again, which, yeah, just nah, is a beautiful mind. piece of music. <laughs> well, you know, I, I, I did notice myself, in all fairness, Robert. <laughs> no, you, I've said before, this song... I didn't use your word in Anytime it, any time it either. plays, <laughs> makes me sad. So when I got to this moment in this minute, I'm like, and f***ing Spigal and Spigal starts to play again. Like, stop it, movie. Manipulating me. I think it's beautiful, though, because Spigal and Spigal is used... Oh, it's a great song. Um, yeah, and it was... I don't know if I said last week that Nick Ledclose, the soundtrack composer, among many other pieces of music, sent this to Richard Curtis once he'd written the script and said, here are a few songs, which are a piece of music that I think would suit the film. And I think Richard said he heard it for the first time and he was like, yeah, this music represents perfectly the normality of life. And so, yeah, whereas Spaghetti and Spaghetti has been used normally for happy moments, or even, I think, almost to represent the passage of life, like different things that just happen as part of life. So when we have the dad dying or, you know, near death and we have Spigal and Spigal again, I think it, it it's beautiful because it, it feels homely and you know it's not anything he can change because it's just part of life. I, I blame, I think it was um, Foxtrot, I think it's in an Israeli movie. It was up for an Oscar a couple of years ago. Is the first time I knew this, the name of this song. Like I looked it up after the movie. It's a horribly sad movie and then this music plays at the end and... I just, this music itself makes me sad. And so it comes on here and I'm like, it's just going to get worse. This, this movie is going to get sad again. But, you know, it has to. There's a point. <laughs> I love that they, they don't go for gloomy weather either. No. Like it's, it's still sunny. a lovely day in Cornwall because it's a normal day for everyone else. And once again, we've got the lovely, lovely house, which I really want to visit. Which we can at some see point. more of in this shot, which is nice. We can see. Or what I think is the original house that has been expanded, because the front part of the house actually looks different than what we see in most of the movie. It's a different That's style. That's true, yeah. I, I, I've said many times I really want to visit this house. It's about two grand rent for the weekend, so not visiting there anytime soon. But if I end up in Cornwall, I will definitely just like knock on the door to whoever's staying there and be like, can I look around the house for a, for a few minutes? Because I think it's so beautiful and everything that we see, like, there's very little sets in this film. There's a so, smaller house on the property yeah. that might be cheaper to stay in. Mm. And then you can just keep the same view. I'll, I'll I'll do that research once we know when lockdown's finished and if <laughs> I suddenly find enough money to stay in Cornwall, which is unlikely. But I, li- I like the Kit Kats with them as well. So well, supposedly yeah. they made the same phone call to Kit Kat and they, she came around the same. It's, it's also a nice touch and it means she probably arrived with them from London, which means two years later she's still in London. So things... Or maybe going well. Yeah, but I mean, look, even look at her colours, like, she's, she's wearing blue as well. The purple's still there, but it's nowhere near as quirky and fun and significant. It's well, just and she doesn't look quirky. She looks, she looks determined. She's marching in front of them. Mm. I'm gonna say we'll have to get it more next week. 
But yeah, the way that Kit Kat is in this is sort of heartbreaking, really, seeing her so upset because we don't get it normally. <laughs> Even when Kit Kat's own life was in pieces, she wasn't as upset and not making jokes as she is at this point. Yeah. Um. So have have we any other comments on ninety five? I think um you know you reference not using pathetic fallacy you know not treating your audience as stupid and needing that but I think also mm. you know that home has so many happy memories for those people that the bright blue sky and, yeah. and the white and the color palette there is that's a significant factor because it is although it's a sad occasion it's something that's been very fulfilling in their lives. So not to cheapen it with, you know, rain on the windows and all of that is, um, again, a really nice decision from the director, I think. Because it, it also then allows you to see those characters clearly. And it can, sad occasions like that bring utter clarity to people at times. You, you manage to function mm. and do things without having to think because the circumstances call for it and the fact that there is not a cloud in the sky and it's crystal clear perhaps it's symbolic of bringing things into perspective definitely and i think i I like the fact that even here we don't actually know what the phone call was about like yeah we we can take a good guess but they they don't blatantly tell us really i don't think it's actually good that we see kit kat immediately because we might assume otherwise that something happened to kit kat again Mm, that's true. So I, I, I think it's good and it's so unexpected as well that it, it really sort of hits you. And I, the, the first moment we get is obviously next minute when the mother says, I'm so uninterested in a life without your father. Yeah. And I mean, we'll, we'll talk more about that next week, but her whole delivery there is the main thing that's so terrifying. And incidentally, I don't think we did mention this before, from London to Cornwall as a drive, is obviously I'm just talking talking about the the two areas rather than specifically where they are. Yeah. Is four hours and forty two minutes. So we know from Tim on the phone saying we'll be there right away that it's damn important. Well, yeah, it's they got there by the next probably morning. Quite early that morning as well, looking at yeah. the at the sky. Yeah. Um. Actually, I didn't check on the visuals. I assume Posey and um Jeff, you said aren't aren't there, are they? I don't. We don't see so, them no. now. I don't. I don't. Think they go with them? Probably. Oh, that's dangerous. Leaving both of them with Joanna. <laughs> well, maybe, 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 maybe it's Rory this time. I don't know if that'd be better. <laughs> Would maybe Jay Joanna be better? And Rory. Oh, maybe Jay. Could be Jay. Jay could be all right. Jay's not with Kit Kat here. No, well, not in this shot. But we don't know if they got together by this point. I guess we know they were together, but that's now two years ago. So wasn't that erased though? Oh, right. Yeah. So, well, we assume two years later that they've gone around for dinner, but we don't actually see that no, Jay and Kit Kat get together. We don't see it blatantly, but we do see at the end of the film Kit Kat being a mother and Jay is next to her, so we assume that he's probably the father. I think that's it. Oh no, because no, never mind. At the funeral, we get we see that we'll at the we'll funeral. Get there. Yeah, which is getting so horribly close. <laughs> <laughs> this film is so much shorter than I remember. Right. Uh, so yeah, have we, have we any other comments on 95 before we go to our bonus minute? No. No. Okay, what was the bonus minute that we sent you? What, ha- what happened? Um, what, what, you what place? have a shot of them surrounded by packing boxes. They've got, uh, little one. They're kind of sat- settling down with boxes around them. Um, 
that's what I remember off the top of my head. Okay, I think I know which one this is then. I'm just going to have to double check. It was only a couple of weeks ago, so it should be fine. Could be 79. Yeah, I think it is. So, yeah, opens them up with all the boxes and posy, yeah. And, like, cooking and settling down, yeah. So this, I think then, yeah, then we've got the whole first birthday party that comes towards the end. Oh, yes, and the big teddy bear. You yeah. shouldn't bring anything smaller than the child. So, I mean, what's what what what, what do you think of the, the cast, really? We haven't really talked too much about it other than Bill Nye, and we get to see most of them here. So what what were your main thoughts and impressions on the cast? Did you know them from much before watching the film? Uh, some are familiar faces, I think. Uh, you know, it's, it's the kind of cast that you're comfortable with because they're kind of familiar, but they could look like somebody that you know. But it, you sit there with IMDb whilst you're watching and going, oh, what were they in? I know them from somewhere. And it's like 10 different things you've yeah, seen. Yeah, absolutely. Or, you know, the one person that you were convinced you watched in something last week, and it's like, no, I've never seen anything that they're in. They just have that kind of familiar Kit Kat. Kit Kat, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I, I mean, even Desmond, I thought I'd seen him in something. He was in the uh, film adaptation of SEO Trot. That's the only thing I know him from. Tom Hollander, this was the first thing I saw him in, but I've seen him in, obviously, Pirates of the Caribbean, Pride and Prejudice. I've just started watching Rev, so most of the time, he's really good at being horrible people, apart from in Rev, where he's just a really nice vicar. But yeah, and uh, Rory apparently was in a sitcom called Siblings, which I watched, but I don't remember him, so I might have to rewatch that. But it's one of those sitcoms which is like two seasons, and I'm pretty sure I watched it all in like one day, so... It, it doesn't stick as much in my mind. Obviously, Bill Nye. And we've talked before about Donal and how I think Donal's not a household name, yet you look at a list and he's been like the lead roles in so many films you've seen, but he's so good at getting lost in that role that you don't for one second think about who the actor is. Like, I mean, I assume, Robert, with your you you being a big fan of Ex Machina, yeah. like, which one did you watch first? Uh, this one came out first, so I saw About Time first. I think in Ex Machina, I mean, he really has to hold so much on his own, doesn't he, in comparison to this, where you've got quite a big cast around. Okay, it's a film that I've watched a couple of times, but not recently. Uh, But there's a lot of just him and just her. Uh, Yeah, I think I've only seen Ex Machina once, but I I loved it. But once again, it's like, for a moment, just because I, only because I was so obsessed with About Time that I go, oh, that's Donald Gleeson. And then for the rest of the film, it wasn't, oh, it's Tim from About Time. It was, okay, it's whatever his character's name is. I've forgotten. But it's it's, it's that. And he was in um, Caleb, of course. He was in uh, Futile and Stupid Gesture. Once again, I've forgotten who he played in that. But the story of the National Lampoon was a brilliant film. Apparently really inaccurate, according to some National Lampoon people I know. But a, a, a good, brilliant film. Henry and there we go. Um, one of the founders. I think there's. I think it's another one of those where they completely leave out one of the other founders of the magazine in from the entire film but he plays henry beard in that he's got a wig on i'd watched it about two or three times before looking at it on imdb and going hang on that's donal and um i think the main one which i really like him in incidentally also stars margot margot robbie who's in this film is goodbye christopher robin and once again they're both incredible in that film I think to have the Milnes being, you know, such British icons and to have an Irishman and an Australian play them and to not think about it at all, I think it, it proves the skills of both their acting. And obviously Donald's British accent in this is really good. Is he Peter Rabbit as well? Um, he's in Peter Rabbit. Who's he play? Is he? He's Mr. McGregor, the isn't he? The main character, yeah. Yeah. 
because I watched that for the first time recently. Because that's another film with Donal and Margot Robbie. But it's Margot Robbie in it doing a British accent again, which is... It, it confuses me a little bit to have Margot... Like, a, a major film, yeah. But to have Margot Robbie playing a small supporting role wherein you can't even recognise her voice, it kind of makes me question what the decision was in casting Margot Robbie at all. But that's a whole... It's a visual one, surely, <laughs> just an aesthetic. I mean, I like Margot Robbie, I do, and I'm a big Harley Quinn fan. Um, and I loved her in Wolf of Wall Street. I thought that she was great as that character. Which came out just months after this film. I, th- I think she is really good in all of her roles. As I said, it's just when she's voicing a rabbit in Peter Rabbit, <laughs> um, and you hardly, obviously you don't know it's her from her face. I wouldn't have even, re- I'm a massive Margot Robbie fan, and I wouldn't have recognised her voice. Well, so it's just modern an um, animated films do that a lot, though. Where they'll, instead of casting voice actors, they'll, they'll cast someone who's super famous so they can put their name on the trailer. It's a little bit like um, theatre. So, you know, I remember going to watch Thoroughly Modern Millie and watching Amanda Holden. It, the whole show is a tap dance show and she couldn't tap dance. But she was popular <laughs> at the time because of X Factor or whatever it was that she was in. So it was getting ticket sales, really, and getting bums on seats and making, you know, the name sells. She was awful. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I do like this whole scene and I think I, I really like Desmond in the, in the whole bear scene. We don't get enough of Desmond in the film, I don't think. I think we like, get first time I saw it, I think we well, first time I saw it, that's true. I, I, it took me a couple of watches of the film to really like Desmond, but now whenever he's on screen, I love it. I'm just watching Desmond. Tom Hollander is brilliant, as we've said. I think he's just great at being someone you can love to hate because so many actors can't do that right. He reminded me very much in that scene of, and this might be a far fetch, but you know, in Greece, where you've got Rizzo on the bench in the middle of summer nights and she sits on the bench and she's got her glasses on and she just like pushes everybody off the bench with a dry comment you know that that don't fuss me him with his sunglasses and hangover kind of reminded me of a male version of Rizzo from way back when that same kind of you 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 like her you want to root for her but equally she's not a particularly nice person so I I kind of get that vibe I really like that character But yeah, I mean, I think, as, as we said before, with how horrible and constantly annoyed or angry he seems, it makes it all the more heartbreaking, the one line he gets in the funeral. Yeah, is it, it makes it, it says work. like, is it, like, is it, what does he say? Like, yeah, horrible day or dreadful day or something like that. And it's Hateful just, day. Hateful day, there we go. Yeah. And it's just, oh, like, I, I, when I watched it recently, when I was putting together my, um, my re-edit of About Time, like, that pretty much brought me to tears, just that delivery. So yeah. I think this, the start of that minute where we see the boxes and we, we see them settling down and this kind of perfect picture of this new start to family life, it's got a really soft focus on it and everything's very muted. And that, that was the only visual really that I picked up on is it, it's as if it's kind of like a, a fuzzy memory of a good time. Yeah. And I think it definitely suits Tim's whole narration once again, the idea that this is how he's telling the story. Once again, we can see more and more as the people matching the colours of their background. Tim and Mary and Posey match their house more than the visitors do. Oh, yeah, it's their house. Which is brilliantly done. And I, I find it weird that there's nothing talked about on the commentary about the colouring and all of that stuff. Like, because it, it's something that we've noticed more and more throughout the film that it's kind of weird that they never comment on it. So well, it means they it, had a really yeah. good um, either art director, production designer, or costume person that made all those choices for them. And so 
while it's there and it's deliberate, they weren't the ones deciding it. Yeah. So they don't think about it. And I think you can go through scene by scene and like a little Dulux paint strip, you can look at how the colours have been put together. I mean, colour in film is something that fascinates me, actually, and the psychology behind that colour in film. You know, it goes way deeper than, oh, something's red, so therefore it's danger, which you might kind of start with at, at GCSE. But you look at how things uh, are put together and how you change one bit of saturation or, or tone and it changes the scene completely. And I think, yeah, having a really, really good art director that goes, yeah, the shot's great and everything works and the edit's you know, we're going to do this with it. But actually, something's not quite right because that's a little bit too bright over there. Let's fix that. And somebody, because it's so comfortable. You embrace it. You live it. There's there's nothing that puts you on edge unless you are meant to be on edge. Um, I, and I wonder if that's something that may have turned off some of the potential audience for this film, though, unfortunately, because they want a movie that has a little more energy and has visual contrast and stuff that grabs their eye and at the beginning of this movie especially it is not everything blends together they're comfortable in their house mm-hmm. they're comfortable with each other and it takes it slow mm-hmm. yeah it maybe striking visuals yeah and it's not a, you know it's not a film where i think there would be a lot of discussion around the color scheme and how that's been right. used whereas something like you know grand budapest hotel that's one of the first things mm-hmm. that's talked about there's some fascinating analysis of, of colour in film and, and different. So I think for something like a rom-com, you, you don't expect that level of thought necessarily to have gone into it. Right. And I think, as we've said before, it's, it's better, in my opinion, I think a film is better when you don't notice it. I think if, if, if it can succeed in making you feel a certain way without you knowing that you're being forced to feel that way, then it's, then it's done the job it was supposed to do. I think, I mean, I, I love a Nazi film, and I think they've they've got a they've got a good place, but I think maybe things can get lost in trying to make artsiness so obvious that the audience can read it, rather than just using it enough to have the intended effect it has in the first place. Yeah. Ultimately, you want your audience to infer, to interpret, and and to feel clever sometimes, but not if if you're too arty and you're too clever as a director, that can also put people off. Whereas when an audience is comfortable with something, they, they, you know, that's rewatchability and that's, oh, I wonder if that means that. And I wonder if that props there because actually we're supposed to infer X, Y and Z. And you notice the little details that you didn't on the first two watches because they were so subtle. They just right. worked. Mm. So, Kate, if you had to go back in time to any moment in your life to either just relive it or change something about it, what moment in your life would you choose? Oh wow, what a huge question. Um I <laughs> Um I'm going to pick something really really trivial here cuz actually I'm one of those really twee people who despite having some really crappy things happen in life, uh, I don't regret anything and I kind of do subscribe to the everything is for a reason. It's just not always clear at the time. So I wouldn't want to go back and change anything uh, necessarily, but I did the whole perm thing, late 80s, <laughs> and then I repeated that mistake in the early 90s. Um, and then in the oh, 90s, no. I added the, you know, ginger spice. I added the two white blonde stripes at the front, but you couldn't <laughs> perm those because they would just break off. So I had these two uh, <laughs> bones straight 
white stripes at the front of my hair and then the rest was more like uh, somebody out of the levelers my perma kind of dreadlocked at the back it, it was awful <laughs> but the fact is I made the mistake twice <laughs> and I did it worse the second time round. so perhaps that stylistic choice I would change incidentally that's the first thing the first comment Tim makes is the first thing would be to get a it better haircut, haircut yeah. in fact just a brief theory here what if he did go back in time and get a better haircut and that's why he doesn't have a bad haircut throughout the film but we're still he still has to make the decision I don't know that, well, that sounded better in my head and then that didn't work <laughs> out at all I think yeah once again it's one of those films where you you don't you shouldn't get lost in the rules of time travel because it just the whole but it point is. of the film is that your haircut doesn't matter. <laughs> there are more important things to worry and about. And neither does the colour of your dress. Right. The only way that I can think of this, really, is that if this is Tim telling us a story, then we... I mean, if, so, if someone told you a story of them nine years ago, you're going to picture them as they are now. Yeah. Unless they say anything specific. So maybe that's why Tim, for example, looks the same throughout the film and He's not got the bad haircut, but there are the comments on the haircut. He'll say someone said bad things about his haircut, but we don't know what his hair looked like. So we see him the same. I know that's kind of an easy get-out-of-jail-free card, but I think it, it works. It does. And to be fair, between your 20s and 30s, you know, you, you get a bit more grey hair and you get the odd wrinkle. But when you're looking at things in perspective, you don't actually change that much through that period. No, it's one little bit at a time. So, I mean, we normally ask on Fridays whether you've got anything specific to promote, but I assume there isn't anything on your side, is there, that you've got out there that you want people to to know or see, other than just, as we said, social media before? (laughs) I presume you're talking to me there. No, (laughs) I don't at all. Uh, No, I'm not a self-promoter in the slightest. (laughs) So, unless we've got any other final comments... Where can they find you on social media again, Kate? Um, so on Twitter, you can find me at TeacherGeek101. And on Instagram, it's CatSminch. How do you spell that? I was looking at ah, it. It is K-A-T-S-M-Y-N-C-H. The whole point of all of my things is that nobody can find me, actually. That is the teacher's curse. I have to be unfindable. So, Robert, where can they find you on social media? I don't remember. Uh, Robert E.G. Black, which my students learn that on the first day of class normally because I don't want them Googling Robert Black. Because as I mentioned last week, Robert Black was a serial killer. Wow. So I make sure if they're going to look me up, know my middle initials, so at least you'll find the right thing. first thing I'm going to Google when I get off this. (laughs) (laughs) I did a project in a performativity class where it was we had to talk about ourselves without talking about ourselves. And mine was all about other people named Robert Black. I started with the serial killer. I went through a bunch of doctors, professors. Is that why on like your, is either your followers or your following on Facebook I saw you just got loads of other people called Robert yes, Black? I actually friend requested like a hundred of them and then it got confusing. So I unfriended a bunch, but I still have some. <laughs> uh, have any, do any of your students listen to your podcasts, do you think? Or I know for no. sure that some have, yeah. Even during a class I had, there was a high school student who was like, I started listening to Michael Myers, man. It's pretty good. And I'm like, oh, thank you. <laughs> Yeah, that must be kind of weird. Is there, I mean, it must mean you're doing a decent job as a teacher that they want to hear your voice outside, right, of, yeah. <laughs> outside of the learning zone. Yeah, I mean, it's it's it's. We we talked a few weeks ago about your your whole movie by minute experience because you've you you got involved through Groundhog Day, right? Yeah, because of your Groundhog project, which is yeah. So so yeah, Kate, talk about dedication to film. Robert watched Groundhog Day every day for a year, which is just. 
Yeah, I like uh, Bill Murray, but I don't think I could go that far. Did you watch <laughs> other stuff as well? Yeah. And then I continued the blog watching other movies every day and just recently brought it back to watch this one movie a day. But it, it was actually, I wasn't even a huge Bill Murray fan as such, but that movie fit the theme and I went with it and wrote about it. And it was an average of 1,400 words every day for a year. I loved Bill Murray growing up. He was, for me, I think, an American who had such a British sense of humor in the, <laughs> and yeah. I, I kind of, I got that. <laughs> He was the most relatable kind, of, and I loved Ghostbusters growing up as well. Mm. I liked him in uh, Caddyshack, which is a film which I feel like doesn't get as much recognition in the UK as it deserves. I mean, I think I think it's in the weird middle ground where it doesn't get enough recognition in the UK, but I think it's overrated in the states. If that makes sense. I mean, you'd have to tell me as much, Robert, as as to whether it is mentioned as much, or whether I'm just only involved in the film community in the states as to have <laughs> as to have heard it getting as much praise but i mean in terms of chevy chase films i prefer the vacation films and caddyshack i enjoyed but and and think it deserves more recognition here but yeah i think in the states i found a lot of people saying that it was like an incredible film and i don't know it didn't it, i haven't watched it in a while so maybe it will click if i watch it again but who knows it's it's fine on rewatch maybe it's also in terms of the fact that i'm obviously watching it from a 21st century perspective yeah Yeah. but it's it's a national lampoon film that isn't a national lampoon film so it's just yeah well even like the vacation films when i went back and watched them and wrote about them in my blog i didn't like them as much like they're very 80s i watched them first when i was like 13 and became obsessed with them for a while and i haven't watched them properly in a while since because i I became too obsessed (laughs) so you're not a fan of the second one european vacation is awful i well, I wasn't going to have revisited it, but I really like European for a long time. Maybe it's got a more British so thing. I don't check. know. Maybe it's more popular. Yeah, maybe. maybe. It does uh, have Eric yeah, Idle so. in it. Who then reprises his role in National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation 2, because Neddy's Island Adventure. Yep. Yeah, which was possibly the worst £2 I've spent on a DVD. I've spent um, more but, on worse. Yeah, I mean, I think I have, actually. But mm, I'm trying to think. I don't know. In terms of... I mean, I spent £30 on The Room, but I liked The Room, so I guess it doesn't... It doesn't. Have, it's a bad movie, but it doesn't have the same appeal. And we've talked enough about the room on the room minute, anyway. So, uh-huh. yeah. But yeah. So the listeners can find me on Twitter, Lum underscore Bottle Zero, Instagram, The Ginger Luke, Facebook, Luke Allen Film, all podcasts, radio appearances, newspaper articles, short films, everything at LukeAllen.co.uk. This shows on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Two Mins About Time. Also join our Facebook group, The Cupboard, to discuss all things to do with about time and this podcast. And uh, Kate, do you know any interesting ways to say goodbye? <laughs> Um, I do not. No. <laughs> Please don't put me on the spot. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll check this article now. I'll, I, I, w- I would leave it there, but I feel like I've done, we've done that joke a couple of times as well now, so, yeah. I feel like I shouldn't have set this up. I think it's what, one of the things I've learned in podcasting now, in doing this show compared to doing Please Be Seated, which was six episodes a year, to doing what is now three episodes a week, is, yeah, don't set up all these things which are going to be impossible to carry on through. Interesting ways to say goodbye. Let's find out. I mean, I noticed that with the bonus minute. Like, at the start of the podcast, I decided I was going to give the bonus minute a different name each week, and then I gave up on that about three weeks in. Yeah. I only noticed that as I've been editing, and I've been like, oh, I've said bonus minute, like, three weeks in a row. Have we done farewell? We've done... We just did fare thee well. Have we done farewell? No. We'll leave it there. It's a bit of a boring follow-up to fare thee well. Do you not have film quotes that you can use 
old kind of Casablanca or... Hostel Vista or... Baby, popular one, or, yeah, Casablanca, the, uh, well, what would be the goodbye from Casablanca? Oh. There's got to be some good... got to look those up. <laughs> yeah, let's class up this joint. What about Monty Python? No, is there a Monty Python goodbye? I should know, but I can't remember. There must be. They ended the series off really well each. <laughs> or we could do the Holy Grail thing and just suddenly get arrested at the end of the episode. Um, which would take a bit more practice. <laughs> Insert sirens here. The Two Minutes About Time theme is performed by Ethan O'Mahony and is a cover of the About Time theme originally composed by Nick Laird Close. Two Minutes About Time is a production of Lemming Drop Studios in association with Bottle O Productions. Mm-hmm.